0: Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Sulcox. In this week's edition of Insight, we don't get out of bed for less than $10,000. As a cautionary tale, we bought a very expensive limousine but couldn't afford to hire a driver. Unfortunately, we spent all our money and had nothing to show for it. The Actuaries Institute researched what to do if you're unable to fly from the Netherlands to England, Euro. They have also decided that home insurance isn't increasingly unaffordable. Welcome to the party. What happens when you can't afford to pay an exorcist? They repossess your house. It looks like Suncorp and QBE won't have that problem based on their latest results. And with the terrible events in Hawaii, we give an update on El Nino. It's as bad as not being able to pay your electricity bill. Dark times ahead. Hello, everyone. This week, I'm joined by senior journalist Benice Han, deputy editor Wendy Pugh, editor John Deeks and chairman Terry McMullen.
1: Good morning Terry. Good morning. Andrew your your puns are getting more subtle but worse. <laughs> That's what I'm aiming for. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations.
0: Hi John. Hello. Will you be getting out of bed for a Matilda's win on
2: Wednesday? Well, you know my loyalties are split as you know Andrew but uh, may the best team win and may it be a good game. And hello Benice.
3: Hi Andrew.
2: So could I tempt you
0: to get out of bed for $9,000 not 10,000? No, not really. <laughs> good to say staying on message
3: More zeros behind it
0: <laughs> And good morning, Wendy
4: Good morning, Andrew
0: I was going to ask you if those puns were too much But maybe you should sleep on it <laughs> So Wendy, the Actuaries Institute has crunched the numbers And decided that home insurance is increasingly unaffordable I knew this which is amazing. So why is it interesting?
4: Well, they've released two reports actually. Um, So one's focused on affordability in the context of all natural perils. And the second one's looking at flooding issues. And they're they're also coming up with various options for what we can do to to try and address this. But they're highlighting that this is a a problem that's requiring increasingly urgent action. The research found overall that home premiums have jumped 28% in the past year which is the highest in two decades, and for high-risk properties such as those in floodplain areas, it's been a 50% increase. And the proportion of affordability-stressed households has risen. So there's 1.24 million households, and nearly one in eight are facing home insurance affordability issues now, which is up from one million a year ago. And those households that are defined as stressed are spending on average 8.8 weeks of their income on home insurance. So the actuary is calling, you know, for an end to government taxes on insurance. And they say other things that could be considered a direct government subsidies or some sort of form of pooling. And of course, in the longer term, you know, that will only be resolved by risk mitigation.
0: Well, there was another report commissioned by consumer groups, wasn't there?
4: Well, there was, and the other one was commissioned by groups including Choice and Financial Rights Legal Centre, and that also highlights home cover affordability problems and particularly issues faced by low-income households. And that report also says it's not just affordability that's the issue. You know, policies are often overly complex. um, People are are often accidentally not insured for something they thought they were covered for or are underinsured, so they want more action to address those issues. And of course, they also highlight risk mitigation and the potential for direct subsidies that could be needed for low-income households.
0: Well, we've got mortgage stress, now we've got insurance stress. Are we headed rapidly towards some form of subsidisation here, Terry? And would it be such a bad idea?
1: With the government subsidising premiums or subsidising the risk, I guess, by setting up another government-bagged reinsurance pool. If the government wants to subsidise individuals' premiums, and I'm absolutely sure they don't, it would almost be like a return to the bad old days when governments ran insurance companies. All this sort of stuff distorts the market. Although I must say, the pool idea could have legs simply because of the way that the international reinsurers see it as underpinning property risks in Australia. And let's face it, that the cost of of direct, directly subsidising premiums would, you know, it'd have to be prohibitive to the government to be effective. So I think there's a whole lot of possible solutions to the cost problem, but there's certainly no single effective solution.
0: Well, we're heading into results season, Benice, and uh, Suncorp was first out of the traps.
3: Uh, Yeah, so some pretty solid numbers from Suncorp, profit actually came in at $1.14 and that's like 68% up from a year earlier. But uh, importantly for Suncorp, uh, its core insurance held up pretty well. That's on the back of the price rises, it pushed through uh, to counter the inflation pressure. And that continued to the contributed to the significant earnings at its uh at Insurance Australia division. So uh, the net profit after tax more than tripled to seven hundred fifty five million. And looking ahead, um, Suncorp is saying that the rate rises will continue. Steve Johnston, the group CEO, says the cost environment remains challenging, and so they are aiming for around a ten percent rise in uh, GWP growth in this financial year. They also made some key executive changes at the earnings announcement last week. So uh, EGM, commercial insurance, uh, Michael Miller will become CEO of the newly created commercial and personal inju- injury function. So Mr. Johnson says the changes are basically aimed at ensuring Suncorp can hit the ground running after its bank sale to ANZ is completed. And he's basically quite confident that Suntop and ANZ will convince the Australian comp Petition Tribunal to overturn the a uh, decision.
0: And Wendy, how did QBE fare?
4: Well, the headline result looked good because I had a a $400 million first half profit, which was up from $48 million a year ago, but that was boosted by investment returns and it actually fell well below analyst expectations. And from an insurance operating perspective, it was viewed as a a disappointing result. And that was mainly because of higher than expected catastrophe impacts and a a poor result from the North American business. So the group was affected by the New Zealand catastrophes and US storms and, and some adverse development from last year while claims inflation also remained an issue in Australia. But like Suncorp, um, you know QBE says it's getting a strong GWP growth and says retention levels are, are good. It's simplified its US business and it's getting out of some problem areas there and taking a close look at its property exposures. And, and overall, it's expecting a, a better second half.
0: Well, can we draw any conclusions yet, Terry, about how the industry is faring this year?
1: Well, we all studiously examined Suncorp's and IAG's performance for indicativeness of the health of the Australian market. But QBE has vast international businesses that can boost or destroy its results, and that's happened in the past. It is different from the other big operators. The result announced last week, as as Wendy's pointed out, there's lots of reason for it being a bit disappointing. It was, was softer than analysts were hoping for. But, you know, apart from the insurance reasons, there are some non-insurance reasons for that, too, like higher taxes. Overall, the analysts, though, are saying that QBE is heading in the right direction. Oh, God, I've heard that a lot of times. And invariably, it does. But, uh, you know, it's a volatile market, and I think they're, they're doing pretty well.
0: Well, there are some devastating events being reported in Hawaii, Bennis, and one expert is warning that we could be next.
3: Yeah, so uh, David Bowman, a fire science expert from the University of Tasmania, is saying the tragedy in Hawaii is a reminder to Australia of the risk it faces this summer. So our readers and listeners have probably seen the images of the fires in Maui, and to quote the uh, Hawaii governor, it's like, a bomb went off. So uh, Professor Bowman is actually drawing parallels from the fires in the US and his concerns that this is what we may be facing come this summer. So we're already on an El Nino alert and El Nino typically means uh, reduced rainfall, warmer temperatures and increased fire danger, especially in the southeast parts of the country. So um, he's saying that the country has actually made little progress in preparing for future bushfire disasters. So we had the 2019-20 Black Summer, and he thinks that we're still walking into a fiery future. We didn't do anything. And as as he sees it, time is running out for Australia and also the rest of the world as the planet becomes warmer.
0: Or what's the latest on El Nino, John?
2: Yeah, well, by the time listeners hear this podcast, it may have updated because the Bureau is due to put out its latest information later today. Uh, But up until this point, the Bureau of Meteorology here in Australia has been strangely reluctant to actually declare an El Nino is underway. Other agencies across the world have, but the Bureau says at this point, while the uh, ocean temperatures are there, there, there's still some stuff going on in the atmosphere, which doesn't quite tally with El Nino conditions. So watch this space over the next couple of days but i think regardless we're seeing across the world a lot of serious fire events at the moment obviously hawaii but also canada has had some uh, some terrible times lately and, and also in europe in greece and the like and a lot of scientists are linking the uh, current el nino conditions to that we, we never know with el nino we've had el ninos where there haven't been bad fires in australia and we've had bad fires when there hasn't been an el nino but uh, there's no doubt it raises the risk especially when you combine it with other conditions like the indian o- the indian ocean dipole which could be heading for a positive phase and the general warming of the climate which is undoubtedly going
0: on well in uh, other news we had an interesting story in the life section uh, life insurance section beneath involving a lawyer and a disputed life insurance claim
3: yeah, we, we have this lawyer in Christchurch. He, he made a terminal illness claim. Uh he wanted an early payment from his insurer, Astron Life. So he was claiming for 1.2 million New Zealand dollars. He was formally diagnosed with cancer and wanted, or rather, believed he was entitled to the, the money. Claim was denied in 2019. He sued the insurer for a breach of contract, lost last year. He appealed, and the Court of Appeal struck down his challenge this month. So um, basically, the insurer had reviewed his medical documents and also contacted his oncologist. So in the end, he did not meet the definition of terminal illness as defined in the policy. So um, his oncologist actually told the insurer the chance of his patient dying in the next 12 months was low, less than 10% based on the treatment plan suggested. So it all came down to the uh, interpretation of the contract wordings in the policy. So for the life benefit to be paid out, the policy stated that uh, the life expectancy needed to be not greater than 12 months, uh, regardless of any available treatment. And uh, it should be pointed out that the lawyer actually completed the treatment and made a full recovery. So he's arguing that if he did not go for the treatment he will have had a life expectancy expectancy of less than 12 months um but the courts are not having any of that and basically throughout his uh, appeal
0: yeah it's a bit much to expect your life insurance to pay out if you make a full recovery isn't it john
2: yeah i suppose it is this one came down as benny says to to the interpretation of the wording in the policy you know most as i understand it most life policies will pay out the benefit if you're terminally ill and that usually means you're expected to die within the next 12 months now obviously four years later this chap is still going strong and is apparently cancer free so it was pretty hard to make the argument that he was terminally ill i suppose but yeah it came down to the wording you know, the definition of terminally ill was that your life expectancy needed to be not greater than 12 months, regardless of any available treatment. Now, the the lawyer said that meant ignoring any available treatment. So, you know, if I didn't have any treatment, I would die within 12 months, therefore, I'm terminally ill. But the insurer said, well, no, of course, it doesn't mean that it means in spite of any treatment so yeah the courts came down on the side of the insurer in the end as beneath says but i mean it, it is interesting because insurers have been caught out before on wordings as we know so yeah it, it's i guess the lawyer thought he was on to something there but uh, it didn't turn out his way in the
0: end and finally terry the latest insurance news magazine is out and can be read online what are the highlights in this edition
1: Well, it's always a pleasure to see yet another magazine hit the streets and the screens, Andrew, the bi-monthly miracle. And this one is, as usual, packed with news views, reviews and previews. Our journalists like to dig out facts and our star reporter, Wendy Pugh, has been digging in the graveyard where Catholic church insurance is buried to find out if it was murdered or just died of financial starvation. It's a really interesting story. There's also good and not so good news in our latest examination of what's driving up premiums, and we've also taken a look at the local reinsurance markets June renewals. There were some pleasant surprises compared with the the bloodbath the European and US insurers copped in January. And we provide some clarity for the remaining boomers out there, a declining breed, on how to plan for and execute a a successful business succession. We've talked to ICA's Andrew Hall about catastrophes and checked out the New Zealand insurance market and a whole lot more to titillate and intrigue our readers, Andrew.
0: Thank you, Terry. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Insight podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to our panel. Wendy Pugh, Benice Han, John Deeks, and Terry McMullen. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Insight Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google, and all your favorite podcast platforms now. Look forward to catching up again next week.